My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Good morning. I'm Mandy Zucker, the host of the morning meeting. Today, I'm interviewing Natalie Nation. She is a graduate student, a future registered dietitian, and a health educator and a content creator. She is the producer and host of Feed That Nation. It's a podcast, a YouTube channel, and a blog where she discusses college life, college health, and college wellness. Feed That Nation really does aim to shed light and provide education on college-related health issues and professional development topics. And Natalie shares her best advice and stories from her experience as a college student. She is an outspoken advocate for the college experience. She talks openly about her own mental health journey and her student journey with ADHD. Her goal on Feed That Nation is to help college students to be successful in their endeavors, confident in themselves, and to find health and balance on their student journey. She is finishing up her Master's of Public Health at the University of Minnesota while completing her dietetic internship. After graduation, she plans to become a registered dietitian and work with teens and college students and young adults. And she lives in the Twin Cities area with her spouse, Paul. Today, we're going to talk about grief and nutrition and how both of them can affect one another and how we can use nutrition to best support ourselves when we are grieving. So Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Meeting Podcast. I'm so happy that you decided to come on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Why don't you tell me and us a little bit about you and the work that you're doing? Sure. So my name is Natalie Nation, and I am a graduate student. I'm a master's of public health student, and I'm also a dietetic intern, meaning that I'm studying to become a registered dietitian or a medical nutrition professional. And outside of that, I have a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, all called Feed That Nation after Natalie Nation. And your real um, name, right? Yes, it is. And I am married, but Nation is my maiden name. I just need everyone to know that Natalie Nation is my my name. You didn't marry him for the last name. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Although it's pretty awesome. Thank you. So. So on Feed That Nation, I talk about college life, college health, college wellness topics with the goal of helping college students everywhere, no matter if they're a traditional college student, 18 to 22, if they're a second degree student, student parent, whoever you are. I want to help you to become more confident, more healthy, and more successful in your student journey in ways that make sense for you. And so I podcast, I vlog, I blog, I post the occasional Instagram story. I haven't figured out TikTok yet, and I'm honestly not sure I'm going to, but that's me. Okay. Well, I have to say, um, I know I was interviewed on your podcast, and it you have such a great podcast, a great mission, and a great voice, and I um I highly encourage people to listen to it. So check that I out. I also highly encourage people to listen to me. <laughs> As you should. So um, so I was really interested in talking to you today about nutrition and grief. And I thought it's an interesting topic. 
uh, and I'll, I'll probably share a little bit throughout the, uh, the interview about my own experiences with, uh, food and grief, but I just thought about how food is so necessary, um, and, and also can be such a source of care and comfort. And yet it can also be a problem for some people. And how do we balance the need for self-care and comfort when we're stressed or grieving? And I thought we could just kind of start there. Yeah. So I love to say that food above all else is meant to bring us pleasure and comfort and joy. Like we as humans are meant to enjoy eating food, but on top of that, food is meant to satisfy our hunger. It's meant to give us energy and nutrients to do our activities of daily living, the things that we need to do every day and the things that we want to do every day. And food is such a great tool for connection, connection with culture, connection with tradition or history, connection with family and friends. And so food serves a lot of roles. And obviously in the grieving process, there's a lot of those that are sort of all popping up. You have the family or the friends and you have the history and you have the wanting to feel comfort or feel something and you have the need to just keep fueling your body. And so it's all very intertwined. And also I think there's a lot of issues with college students and food in general. Um, So, you know, we could even put the grief aside for a second, but just you know, I'm wondering about some of the things that you've identified when you're working with college students, um, just in general about, you know, access to food and, you know, quality food and, you know, the cost of food and those kinds of things. Sure. I, I love to talk about college students as sort of a surprisingly vulnerable population when it comes to health and when it comes to finance and honestly, when it comes to a lot of things. But I think a big struggle for college students is mental health, because not only in the sense of the traditional eating disorder, but also depression, anxiety, other mental health issues can impact the way that we eat food, the way we enjoy food, it impacts our appetite. And I heard once that one of the most common ages to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder was 19. And I absolutely believe that because that's right when you're starting college, a very transitional time when everything is changing. Outside of mental health, I think Food security is another big issue on a lot of college campuses. And when I say food security, I'm kind of borrowing from the FAO definition where we talk about safe, reliable access to adequate amounts of nutritious, culturally relevant food. And so we're talking about having access to a grocery store that you can afford to buy food from. We're talking about things like transportation, safe transportation to and from that grocery store, being able to afford the foods in the store and the culturally relevant piece, of course, obviously there's lots of different ways that food can be culturally relevant or not. And especially with international students, it can be really hard to find foods that they're familiar with when they're in America. So all of that ties into, I guess, food and food security. It's something, honestly, like I, until I had a a child that was in college that I hadn't really thought about. Um, And I know that, you know, many colleges have meal plans And I have heard of students that will forego the meal plan because they can't afford the meal plan just so they can go to college. But I can't imagine going to class starving and trying to learn and absorb information and process when you're so hungry. And that's apparently it's a real issue on college campuses. 
Yeah, there are some statistics and obviously it's really hard to get a good read on how many students are food insecure because no one really wants to admit it. No one wants to say that they're the stereotype of the starving college student, you know, eating ramen for a week or whatever. Yeah. But studies have kind of shown that anywhere, but depending on the college campus, on four-year university campuses, it's between 15 and 40%. And on community college campuses or two-year colleges, it can be up to 50% or higher. And that's that's like half of every classroom on a community college campus. And that's just so crazy to me. Yeah, it's crazy to me. And it's crazy to me to even think that um, I'm so privileged that I didn't even think about it until somebody mentioned it to me as my kids were getting ready to go to college. But it's, um, you know, you know, I'm in a fortunate enough position that it's not something that we have to, you know, to worry about all the time. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm grateful for that. And yet, um, very aware of the fact that that's not the case for everybody. So, so when do you know that you have a problem? And I'm not talking about the food insecure. I'm talking about people who have plenty of access to food. When do you know that you have a problem with food? I would say outside of, you know, access to food. Yeah. That a big indicator that maybe something is wrong is you're constantly miserable or just obsessed with the thought of food, the thought of your next meal, the thought of grocery shopping, eating out, whatever, just a lot of times preoccupation or obsession with mm-hmm. food and eating can be a really big indicator that something is wrong. And it could be either way, right? Like it could be that I need to eat more and more food, or it could be that I can't, I need to restrict myself from eating. Yes. Or it could be, I can only eat X, Y, and Z foods. Mm-hmm. Another pretty good indicator that something might be wrong is when you are either not able to or you just aren't, you're choosing not to honor your body's natural hunger and fullness cues. And that can be either way, of course, it could be you're feeling hungry, but you're not allowing yourself to eat or on the opposite end of the spectrum, you're eating past the point of fullness towards discomfort or pain. And either one of those can be another indicator that something is wrong. And I would also say another sort of adjacent symptom to kind of watch out for is if you're feeling physically or emotionally out of sorts related to food. Maybe, I mean, we can get TMI for a second, but like you could be constipated, you could have diarrhea, you could just constantly have heartburn and indigestion or outside of physical symptoms, you can just be bored, sad, you know, frustrated disinterested around the topic of food. And all of those can be indicators that something is wrong. Hmm. So how do you recommend people think about food and nutrition in general when they're grieving? So, you know, we've already talked about how some people may lose their appetite. Some people may feel like they're hungry all the time. But the reality is that when you're grieving, you also may struggle with things like concentration, uh, with sleeping, with memory issues, irritability, and all of those things, I assume that there are some foods that are, um, you know, maybe able to address some of those issues as well. So what do you, I always say, like, I don't know if this is the right advice or not, you can correct me if I'm wrong. When people would say to me things like, I just can't eat, I just can't, it's like too much effort. I would always suggest like a shake, like a system or something like um, because sometimes it's easier to drink than eat, but 
I don't know if that's good advice or not, but so I'm curious about um, your thoughts about that. But so how do you help people when they're really, they need, you know, we need to eat because it's, um, it does so much good for our body. And for people who just don't have the appetite, what do you suggest? I always say that you can't really get anywhere with your mental health or your physical health until you've met the basics. So that is food, hydration, movement, sleep. If you're not able to at least do a decent job at most of those four things, it's going to be a huge uphill battle to try and work on working through the grieving process or working through a mental illness. Or I have worked with student athletes and they'll want to know about supplements and crazy training stuff. And I'm like, okay, but you're only sleeping five hours a night. So let's start there. Hmm. I would also say that A lot of the reasons people get irritable is related to low blood sugar or not eating. Um, And so that's a big one is if you're cranky or hangry, you probably do need to eat at least something. And I say that hydration is a really big aspect of energy and concentration. And so I think staying hydrated is probably one of the more challenging things to do, but definitely one of the biggest. Right. For students who are really, really struggling, they're deep in the grief process, everything feels just impossible. I would say you don't have to cook anything fancy. It doesn't have to be a full meal. You don't have to eat at meal times, but you should be eating something at least every three hours and you should be drinking water pretty consistently. And, you know, if you're not able to cook, if you don't have the space, a lot of college students live in dorms and they're not able to cook for themselves go for a wide variety of snack foods, you know, try for proteins, uh, those little snack cheeses or like beef jerky, go for Mm -hmm. grains like granola bars, popcorn, you know, go for salty, go for sweet, go for fruit, go for vegetable. And just, if you're not able to cook, make sure that the the snacks you're eating are pretty varied in terms of what you're getting. Okay. And that's probably good for um, all, you know, if you're varying the foods and it's going to vary all of the things that they might be good for, like sleep, like memory, like irritability, that, Definitely. Makes, that makes sense. And that's probably easier and more affordable, honestly, than some big meals. Mm-hmm. I also love to recommend smoothies and shakes. I think that's a really great idea. Personally, oh, yeah. <laughs> Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the like diet shakes. I mm-hmm. would much rather students just put ice cream and milk into a blender and do it that way. I think that tying diet culture into grieving and food is even more complicated than it needs to be. One of my favorite smoothies, if I'm just not wanting to cook, but I need something, I'll do like a scoop of nut butter, a banana, ice cream, a splash of milk and enough ice to make it cold. And it's just, it's such a fun treat. It's so easy. And definitely I love smoothies and shakes. I have them like all the time. So (laughs) Okay, good. And what is it about sweets? Like for those people that feel like that's the only thing that's comforting, what do you say to them when they feel like, you know, I've had such, you know, crap that's happened in my life and I deserve the donut. Um, What do we, you know, I I assume you're going to say something about moderation, but, you know, what do you say to people who just feel like that's the only thing that's, you know, filling them or, or comforting them in a time of real hardship? I would say that I want to completely validate that experience. Emotional eating is something that a lot of people experience and it does bring them comfort. And I don't want to tell anyone that that is wrong, but 
you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's all about being very mindful about choosing the food that is going to fulfill a need for your body. Even if that need is emotional, choosing a food intentionally rather than letting it be just the thing you reach for without thinking about it. And a lot of times when you plug in that aspect of being a little bit more mindful, you might realize that, you know, emotionally a donut would feel really good, but also I haven't had a banana in like four days or something like that, or even the reverse. Like I've been eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and physically that would probably be better for my body, but emotionally I'm just really craving a donut. Uh I think also, like I said before, listening to the body's natural hunger and fullness cues can be really good because a lot of times outside of eating because we're hungry, we eat because we're bored or we eat because it feels good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for students who are feeling kind of overwhelmed by eating all the time, I would say start to tune in. You know, are you hungry? When are you full? I think also eating without distraction be a really big one. So putting your phone down and eating at a table or in a chair rather than in bed can be a big one. Going back to the mindful thing and choosing to eat intentionally rather than letting it be that thing that happens in the background. Right. And I think, you know, right now it's so hard for people to like get separation because, you know, many kids, like maybe it's easier if they're home because there's more space maybe in somebody's home than there is in a dorm room. But um, in a dorm, like you're doing everything in the same space, um, especially for kids who are learning remotely. So if you're taking all of your classes, um, your desk becomes your classroom, you know, or your bed is your classroom. And so is it your dining hall. And, you know, but it sounds like you should really, you should try not to eat in bed. You should go sit at least at the desk if you can, if you have a desk. Yeah. Or choose, you know, say mindfully to yourself, like I am choosing to eat in bed because this Mm -hmm. is where I'm going to be comfortable to eat in this moment. Okay. Okay. I I almost feel like, you know, I'm thinking about ways to like turn your bed into a table, like take a little tray and put the food on the tray so that you're not under the blanket or just change it up a little bit so that it's, it is mindful about like, okay, now it's eating time Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, sleep time or Yeah, I do also want to say that for students out there who are feeling truthfully like food is the only thing that's bringing you joy right now, or if the amount of food or the timing of the food or the type of food that you're eating feels really out of control to you, then that would definitely be an indicator that you might want to speak to a professional because lots of things in our life should be bringing us joy. It shouldn't just be food and feeling out of control with eating can be kind of a lead into binge eating disorder, which is another type of eating disorder that, you know, we see a lot in college students. Right. You have to eat and it can be really complicated to figure out what's the right amount of food or what's the right kinds of food to be eating all the time. I know that, um, I remember once I had gone to my doctor, um, just like an internist and I don't remember what was going on in my life, but something. And I said, like, all I can do is eat. And I just like, I'm gaining weight. And I, you know, and I remember her saying to me, like, listen, you've got some really big stuff going on in your life and take that off your plate. Like, we'll we'll worry about that later. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh, thank God. Like, okay, so now I could just focus on some other things. And then 25 pounds later, I was really pissed. (laughs) 
because I was like, great, now I've created a whole other problem that's adding stress to my life. And I wish she didn't give me the permission, um, you know, just like this free permission to do whatever I wanted. Because I was like, well, my doctor said it's okay that I eat as much as I want. So I will. Um, and and that created some issues too. So, Yeah, I think though the other side of that is that the body changes that happen with lifestyle change are very normal and natural to happen. And so, I mean, the example that I hate this, but like the freshman 15, that sort of diet culture icky thing that gets passed around college campuses comes from the very real fact that students transitioning from high school to college are facing a big lifestyle change. They're changing where they're living. They're changing their activity level. They're changing what they're eating and how much they're eating. And often that can result in weight gain, which is not inherently good or bad, just in the same way that weight loss is not inherently good or bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not all about the drinking. And I think that that's, you know, that freshman 15 people often, they're just like, well, that's what they're doing. They're just drinking and they're gaining all this weight. And it's not necessarily about that. And I think that is true. That's a stereotype that um, gets put on students as they enter college. This podcast is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing support and education to grieving students everywhere. Inner Harbor provides workshops and trainings for staff and students, teaching you how to support other grievers So if you are interested in learning more about how we can educate your class, your fraternity, your sorority, your team, your club, or your agency, go to www.inner-harbor.org to learn more. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and check out all of the other services we offer. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can also sponsor an episode by checking out the sponsorship page on the website. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can go to Apple or Audible podcasts and leave a review. Now back to the show. Can you tell me about some resources that you think are good for college students who, you know, want to learn more about nutrition or how it affects their mood or energy levels, sleep, those kinds of things? Yeah. So obviously you guys should go check out me, Mm -hmm. Um, go check me out, Feed That Nation, my blog, my podcast, my YouTube channel, all of that. How do they, where is it just called Feed The Nation? That's the handle everywhere. I'm at Feed That Nation. I am feedthatnation.com. That's yeah. Wherever I am, that's, that's what I am. Google Feed That Nation and you will find you. Mm -hmm. Someone will find you. Okay, great. Any Um, other resources? Oh yeah. I, I have like a whole list. I really... I came swinging today. (laughs) So I would say that for nutrition information, college students, as as boring as it is, it usually is best to stick to accredited websites. So .edu, .gov, .org kind of websites. That's kind of the same thing we say for research. But like if you're researching nutrition, you should probably be using websites that were written by professionals and that cite science. It can be so easy to fall into social media pages that have pretty pictures of thin, skinny people and follow their advice because they are aesthetically everything you wish you were. But that's usually not the kind of advice that is going to help you to take care of yourself long-term. Some social media pages that I do love, I have a whole list and I will give you all the links. You can put them in the show notes, but I love Jessica, the sports RD. I love, uh, her name is Maria. She's at vitamin re. I really love Abby's Kitchen. It's a YouTube channel. 
And uh, at the Food Science Babe, it breaks down a lot of food science myths. And in general, if you're looking for pages to follow, I would say look for pages run by registered dietitians because dietitians are the nutrition professionals out there. Not to say that other people can't be giving reasonably good or scientific or helpful advice, but dietitians, you know that you're getting someone with the education to back up what they're saying. Excellent ideas. Really important that you're following the science and making sure that you're getting good, you know, vetted information. Thank you for that. Tell me, how are you doing in the middle of all of this? How have you been, you know, in in the best or not the best ways taking care of yourself? It's been a long year. I will say that. I'm a graduate student and my program is supposed to be in person. And so I went last March from in-person classes three times a week, uh, once a week internship rotation at an in-person community site. I went from that to being completely at home, completely virtual, completely online. And that has not been super fun because I really like my cohort. I like seeing them and hanging out with them. I like, you know, getting to do things out in the real world, in the community. And I'm obviously, I'm a public health student. I'm obviously happy to stay home and do my part to help keep other people safe. Sure. But it's not very fun. Right. On the flip, yeah, on the flip you're side of that. You're a public person. I mean, I'm thinking like, yes, you're health, but you're also public, so. Yeah. <laughs> on the flip side of that though, I do... Honestly, I think my mental health is probably the best it's ever been at this moment. I mean, I I started an SSRI last summer and I feel really good. I've been doing a lot of work on myself in therapy. I've been really enjoying the online classes that I've been taking and I've been kind of just doing my best to find that joy even when I'm frustrated and yeah, I mean, I bought a house too with my husband, so that was like a whole crazy ride and we're learning yeah. how to like refinish floors and all of that. So I've been busy and I've been better and I've been worse, mm-hmm. but I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm really glad to hear that. Anything else that you wanted to share today on the podcast? I think I do also want to say that if you are grieving, if you are struggling with your mental health, with anything, fully take advantage of other people offering to cook for you. Take advantage of, if you can afford to do so, convenience foods and takeout, because at the end of the day, obviously we want you to be getting a wide variety of fruits and vegetables and protein and whole grains and all of that. But it is also important for you to know that if you don't have the energy to cook, take advantage of someone else offering to cook for you. That's okay. Take advantage of that frozen pizza. That's okay. And at the end of the day, like, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important too. Like, you know, you can get really caught up in the, like, oh, I have to eat healthy or I have to eat, you know, whatever. I haven't had, you know, a fruit in three days and all you have is the frozen pizza. Eat the frozen pizza. Like, don't, you know, deny yourself anything because you don't have what you really want. Um, or you really think that you should have, but, um, you know. Yeah, and actually that sort of restrict 
mentality. So deciding, oh, I'm not going to have sugar anymore because I had sugar three times this week or whatever, that restriction can actually create a scarcity mentality in your brain, which then will lead to feeling like you can never have sugar again. And then ultimately you'll probably end up eating a lot of sugar the next time you have it because you feel like you haven't had any. The We call it the restrict binge cycle because mm-hmm. after you quote binge on whatever it is, you're going to feel guilty and bad and shame. And you're going to be like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never having sugar, sugar again. And then on and on and on and on. So by giving yourself permission to have the sugar or whatever it is, you're preventing yourself from entering that really, really sucky spiral. I hope everybody's able to take as good care of themselves as they possibly can. And, uh, you know, food is one of those ways. So thank you for sharing all of that. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on the show today. And thank you to Stephen Bluestein for audio production. Next week on the show, I'm interviewing Brett Levine. He has an education career spanning over 25 years, and he's worked with thousands of students going through the college search and the application and selection process. Uh, He's worked as a school counselor and an administrator in two New Jersey school districts. Um, And he was actually one of the state's first counselors to integrate Naviance into the schools back when it was known as like the college counselor on the internet. And he's been very fortunate to work on the other side of the desk as a college admissions officer and academic advisor at Adelphi University and New York University. We are going to talk about how to decide what is a good emotional fit when you're thinking about colleges, especially for grieving students. We often focus on the right academic fit, but we don't necessarily think about what emotional supports are available to students when they're thinking about different colleges. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation about that, and I hope you will join us. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.